When Paul writes to the saints at Philippi, it is a letter written to some of his dearest friends, and it is a letter to a young local church that was birthed through the power of the gospel and is sustained by the power of the gospel and whose only hope for the future is found in the gospel. This is Philippians, and we are Mercy Village Church. You can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. Did anybody else have parents that sometimes when you would leave the house, this was the line my parents would use. Maybe you've heard it. Remember whose you are. Anybody have parents say that to them? Anybody heard that, right? Like that react. Remember whose you are. Kind of like a, a friendly little guilt trip for the kid, right? As on the way out the door. Or at least that maybe is what it felt like as a kid. But as a parent now, I, I get it. I get it. Remember whose you are. In my case, you're a bokel. You're, you're representing not just Paul. You're representing the whole family as you, as you walk out the door. So don't be a knucklehead, right? Like, at least as best as possible. And my parents were very gracious and patient with me because, as you can imagine, I was quite a knucklehead. But uh, they certainly, uh, every, not every time, but the vast majority of the time, they would say two things. We love you and, and remember whose you are. For the children of God, we belong to someone. Not only that, but as we'll see play out today, we have citizenship in a kingdom. For the children of God, our primary citizenship is His kingdom. So we're going to see play out today. We're going to see it play out actually over this week and then following two weeks. Kind of what it looks like for us to be citizens of the kingdom of God. For the children of God, our primary citizenship is His kingdom. Remember whose you are. So, Father, today what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And and what we have not, please give us. By Your good grace, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're finishing out chapter 1 today. I just want to refresh us on the context real quick because it matters. Because over the next three weeks, we're going to start being called to something. And I'm aware of our uh, cultural context in Appalachia, right? Like we potentially grew up in churches where, yes, we were saved by grace, but the smile of Jesus comes only with heightened obedience and growth and sanctification, right? Like you can't lose your salvation per se, but... God might not necessarily be super excited about you if you don't act like this. So, in callings sometimes like these, we can easily forget about grace. We can get our checklist out and say, okay, now I know what type of person I need to be. And instead of thinking primarily about being with Jesus, we start thinking about how can I make Jesus happy, right? Instead of trusting His love for us. We have to hold both things. We are called to things. We're called to obedience. We're called to holiness. We're called to faithfulness. There's no getting away from that call, by the way. We're called to it. It is part of what it means not just to obey Jesus, but to walk in the fullness of life. God's not calling us to these things just because He's on some ego trip and likes bossing people around. He's he's extending to us a way of life that is for our joy and and good. But at the same time, I don't want us to leave here thinking that we've got a new checklist. 
that we have to feel the weight and the guilt of to follow through. So the context reminds us of that balance between the finished work of Jesus on the cross and His grace extended to us and the call to obedience and faithfulness and righteousness. Paul started, remember, I mean, this whole letter was written from a place of suffering on Paul's part. He's most almost certainly in a Roman prison. There's other trains of thought as to maybe where he wrote Philippians, but traditionally speaking, he, he's in, in Rome. He's in prison, four to six years away from dying for his faith, becoming a martyr for his faith. And so here he is, and he's on, under house arrest. And he's been suffering his whole ministry, and, and now it's no different. So he writes it from a place of suffering to dear friends who are also encountering opposition and suffering. Right? It's not the blind leading the blind. It's, it's someone who has experienced the realities of suffering and opposition, speaking to dear friends about facing suffering and opposition. And he only beats, well, he, he beats primarily one drum, the gospel. That word gospel appears more times in Philippians than it does in any of his other letters. He says it more here than in any of his other letters. And this letter is only four chapters long. He beats that drum of the gospel. Friends don't let friends forget the gospel, the realities about Jesus. Might that be true of us? Might we be those types of people towards one another that in our difficult times and in our good times and in all the times in between that we would lovingly remind one another of the truths of the gospel with our words and with our lives. We really don't need anything else more than that from one another. There are other things that we need from one another. But there's nothing we need more from one another than that. We would be those who remind one another of the gospel. That's, so he celebrates how the gospel is making them worthy as Christians. That's how he starts out. Remember, he celebrates all the great things that are happening in their lives, if you were here. And he says, it's the gospel that's made you worthy. And it's that same gospel that will carry you through. And we said on that day, like, like Mercy Village Church exists because of the gospel, and it will only continue to exist in a healthy way because of the gospel. It's the same for the church at Philippi. And, and then he talks about how the gospel keeps working and can't be stopped, even in suffering, even in selfish leadership, that even through narcissistic leaders and suffering, the gospel isn't stopped. Not that suffering is good, and not that narcissism is okay, sinful, pain brought by many narcissistic leaders. But what Paul says is at the end of the day, the gospel isn't stopped by that. And then last week, Paul roots their hope in life and death in the gospel. So the point is that the baseline for this whole thing are the realities that Jesus died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. It, it makes it possible for us to be in an, uh, an unhindered relationship with God. That's beautiful. That's what's happened because of Jesus. But Jesus didn't stay dead. He was raised from the dead victoriously. And the gospel keeps working in our lives. It keeps changing us. So that's what matters. They, they're facing some stuff in Philippi. They need a confidence boost. We're facing some stuff in our lives. I don't know all the details of your life, but 
There's stuff going on. You might not be in prison, but there's stuff going on. It was the same for the church at Philippi. They were facing some stuff, and, and Paul wants to remind them that Jesus is enough. And so only in that seedbed of gospel transformation does he even begin to exhort them. And now he's going to exhort them. He's going to say, here's what it looks like to walk with Jesus. Not all of it. It's not going to be an exhaustive list. Just some of the things he thinks the Philippians need to hear. In verse 27, he starts, he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, this is our banner for the next three weeks. I'm going to explain to you why it's our banner for the next three weeks, but that word only for the person who's studying the Bible, that points us backward. It always should, When you see words like only, when you see words like therefore, when you see words like but, I like, no, I won't go there. Um, when you see those words, they should point you back to look at the context. And the immediate context was Paul and verses 25 and 26 saying, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for for progress and joy in the faith, for your progress and joy in the faith, verse 26, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. And then he says something, because of my coming to you again. He has this plan. Most likely, almost certainly, it, it, his plan ends up not being God's plan to see them again. He probably never makes it back. That's kind of sad. But Paul, uh, Paul knew that 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 might be the case. And you see that in this verse because he says, right, I, I want to come to you in the meantime, right? That's what he means by only. In the meantime, while you're waiting for me to come, and then he throws this in in the second part of, of verse 27, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, he's aware that he might not make it back. In the meantime, while... You wait for me to, to show up. And by the way, I might not. I don't know what God's plans are for me. I might not make it back. Here's what I want for you. Live a life worthy of the gospel. Now, Greek matters here, and, and uh, it's well established I'm not a scholar by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I did re-enroll in seminary, and I'm taking my first Greek class ever, so... Um, and I just, all I've learned is how much I don't know about Greek. But sometimes English doesn't do as well at conveying to us what this means. This is about citizenship in heaven. Paul will be able to be, will be more explicit about it in chapter 3. That word is actually going to appear again. The better translation here, and it's, it's just a little more clunky, and that's maybe why it wasn't, would be live out your heavenly citizenship in such a way that it is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Right? That's the way longer sentence. But when he says, um, let your manner of life, those are, that's already five words that come from one Greek word, and that one Greek word is only used one other time, and it's used by the Apostle Paul when, in uh, Acts chapter 23. And we find it, too, in a lot of other Greek literature, and it always has to do with living as a citizen of a certain country or a certain group. 
always. Now that matters. Because for the next three weeks, he's going to be telling us what does it look like to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. To be a worthy citizen of the kingdom of God. Live out your citizenship. Your heavenly citizenship in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. They'd have got this language because Philippi had an interesting story. If you remember the map from the first day, uh, the first sermon of this series, if you don't, it's like northern Greece. It's like where Philippi is. And in that area, when Rome was conquesting, they had fought an intense battle in that area. And they had won the battle there. And a lot of the citizens of Philippi had aided in that victory. And so they gave them instant Roman citizenship. At the end of that battle, everyone who lived in Philippi instantly became a Roman citizen. And again, that's a big deal. Now, if you've never traveled to the third world, you might not understand what a big deal citizenship is, right? But when people tell you, like, put your passport in your front pocket or in some zipped up thing, there's a reason for that. Things worth a lot. You trust me, American citizenship, and this isn't political, it's just true, is a gift. And Roman citizenship was a gift, especially in that day. They had far more opportunities open to them legally and socially because of Roman citizenship. So they would have valued their Roman citizenship very deeply. Paul says, listen, Your citizenship in the kingdom of God is an infinitely bigger deal. Far bigger than your Roman citizenship is your your heavenly citizenship. Get this today, because it's going to play out in the next three weeks. We're dual citizens. We're dual citizens. All of us probably American citizens. Citizens of the kingdom of God. Dual residents, right? Like some of you, Barbersville's home, or Huntington, or... Chesapeake or wherever, you're also residents of the kingdom of God. Only one of those citizenships is eternal. You know this, right? You could die wrapped in the flag, but that's where the flag will stay. Again, don't hear that in a way that's like discarding of the beauty of freedom and, and being an American. I'm not But this is a bigger deal, infinitely bigger deal to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. Do you reckon this, right? Do we remember whose we are? As we live in this world, do you remember whose we are? You belong to the kingdom of God. So so what does it mean to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven in a way that's worthy of the gospel? He's going to get into the details, but simply put, what he's saying in just this very general overarching sense is don't be double-minded. Right? Remember whose you are, so don't be double-minded. You can't live in two different ways. You belong to the kingdom of God. Live according to the ways of the kingdom. Don't be a hypocrite. You have the Citizenship of the kingdom of God, remember whose you are. You're going to sound, look, smell like the kingdom of God. That's the way it should be, right? Listen, we live, most of us in West Virginia are close enough to West Virginia to be influenced by West Virginia. So we look, sound, and smell a certain way. 
Smell like pepperoni rolls, right? Okay. Uh, When we say goodbye at the end of time with someone, we say it in the living room, and then we say goodbye again in the right in the kitchen, and then we say goodbye again on the porch, and then we say goodbye while the car's warming up in the driveway. That's right. That's what it looks like to be a citizen of Appalachia. That's the way that it looks. There's certain things that are just true of us. We look and smell and sound a certain way because of it. So Paul says the Bible is filled with those things. The Shema, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That prayer from Deuteronomy. And then Jesus adds to it, and you will love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's what it looks like, smells like, sounds like to be a citizen of the kingdom, the fruit of the Spirit we saw in Galatians when we spent time there, love, joy, peace, etc. That's what it looks like, feels like, smells like, sounds like to be a citizen of the kingdom. And on and on we could go with all those things, but Paul says, I am going to show the church at Philippi a few specific things. Again, not an exhaustive list, but here's some things, how it looks to be to be a citizen of the kingdom. And he starts with unity. This is the end of verse 27. He says, when I get there, or even if I don't, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the, or you could read one faith, the one faith of the one gospel. Side by side, one spirit, one mind. These are expressions of unity. One of the marks of kingdom citizenship is is unity. Again, we get this to carry on the West Virginia analogy. Like West Virginians don't get along all the time, but but just let Bette Midler say one disparaging thing about the state and everybody, right, side by side, unity, big time, right? It just, it just has a way of happening. We stand together. These folks aren't carbon copies of each other in Philippi, but, but they share one thing for certain, the faith of the gospel. That's what unifies them, which is why we sing the songs that we sing every week when we gather. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why we sing the gospel. That's why we remember the gospel through communion and our community groups. That's why we value conversations about the gospel so that we are reminded every week that, that even if nothing else unifies us, there's one thing that does. The gospel. So that we, we push that over and over and over again for the sake of, of unity. So unity is a mark of, of kingdom citizenship. So do you value it? Do you cling on to unity, right? Now, now by the way, I, I'm just full of great illustrations. You ever, uh, like, ate a bag of, like, greasy potato chips and then tried to open a jar of pickles or something? All right? Like, it's just, it's impossible, right? Like, to cling on to unity, right? If you've been consuming the, the greasiness of gossip, right? You got your hands in gossip. You can't twist the pickle jar lid of unity, man. Can't happen can't. You can't cling to unity and gossip at the same time. You can't, you can't cling to, to unity and slander at the same time. You can't scroll through your Instagram or Facebook feed with, with bitterness about the comparison of everybody else's life and, and hang on to unity. So there's some things that, are gonna, that can hinder us from it. So we must cling to unity, which means we've got to keep our hands out of some chip bags, right, that'll make our hands greasy. 
some things we reject if we want to cling to unity, and there's some things we desire if we want to cling to unity, devalue it. So gospel unity is the first mark Paul mentions, and then in verse 28 he mentions the second. Not only are they side by side in faith of the gospel, but not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is gospel unity, number one, mark here. Number two, uh, mark of citizenship is gospel courage. Not frightened by your opponents. Now, zero details about the opposition, really, that was coming against the church of Philippi. We don't know. We saw an example of some opposition in Acts chapter 16 when we saw the church of Philippi birthed. Uh, Paul, Silas, Timothy all get ran out of town on a rail, remember, because because the gospel transforms primarily because it transformed this demon-possessed girl's life, and it disturbed the economic uh, makeup of the town. It, it, it dis, dis, disturbed the normal social workings of the town. Gospel has a tendency to, to disrupt, and with that disruption comes opposition in the form of prison and in the form of threats and and running them out of town. So who knows, it may have been something of that. But simply put, and this is just all you need to know, really, about the situation, these saints are surrounded by a group of people in Philippi whose main mantra is, Caesar is king. This is what they live by. Caesar is king. And the Christians say, no, we're going to live by a different mantra. Jesus is king. That's enough to cause tension. That's enough to bring persecution. Trust me, try giving your allegiance to God instead of money in certain situations and see how that plays out. Try giving your allegiance to God instead of fame or, or, or uh, sexuality or social norms or, or influence or political alliances, right? Like try giving your allegiance to King Jesus instead of those things and just, again, right? Now, maybe not full-scale persecution, like some of our brothers and sisters are experiencing today, death, imprisonment, drug through the streets, you know, kicked out of their homes. Maybe not that level of, of persecution, but you'll certainly experience misunderstanding. You'll cert- certainly experience tension in your relationships and, and, and forms of, of persecution. That's how it goes, and so that's how it was for for them, but he says, in the midst of that, don't be frightened. Do not be afraid. Have gospel courage. And he tells them why. Verse 28, second half of verse 28. This ability to not be afraid, this ability to stay unified in the midst of oppression. In the midst of suffering, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction. But of your salvation and that from God. says your courage is rooted in the gospel that the promises of God will be true. That regardless of, of how the social circles you're in respond to your allegiance to King Jesus, regardless of, of what opposition or or uh, tension comes against you, cling to the promises of God that the way of Jesus leads to life and every other way leads to destruction. And you'll show it to the world when you live in allegiance to King Jesus regardless of your circumstances and, and situations. So these 
are the marks that Paul starts with. He's going to have more in the coming weeks. He starts with these two, courage and unity, marks of the kingdom. So the question we should be asking, where's your citizenship? Today, right? And again, where's your citizenship? Who's your king? Maybe a more difficult question to ask would be, if you ask the people in your life, close enough to know you, uh, some of your business, but maybe not close enough to know all the details of your life, if you were to ask them, what's the king of my life? What drives me? What leads me? What, what am I giving my life over to? How would they answer the question? <laughs> That's the question I don't want to ask of myself. Ask that question. Citizens of the kingdom of God are marked by unity and courage. And that's good because and this shouldn't shock anyone. There's, there's something else that's always a part of the kingdom. He closes out the chapter, verses 29 to 30. He says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. That's, you've been granted that. That's your gift. You get to suffer. Thanks, right? It's like giving your wife a vacuum for her birthday. What a nice gift. Thanks a lot, right? Appreciate the suffering. Really, really great. Right? Thanks for putting a bow on it, right? Like, I mean, you get what I'm saying. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Get to suffer with me, Paul says, for the sake of Jesus. It's been granted to you. (laughs) You have a kingdom opportunity. You have kingdom citizenship, and with that kingdom citizenship comes a kingdom opportunity. And man, it's a great one. You get to suffer. (laughs) Don't shoot the messenger. It's a broken record in the Bible, by the way, suffering is. A couple broken records in the Word of God that you just find their themes like through the whole thing. That's good. I know it might not sound good, but that's good, especially if you've suffered. Because you can open this book and read about dozens of people who also suffered. They lost. They buried people. They got sick. They were persecuted. And the gospel was good enough for them to cling on to through it all. That's beautiful broken record of this and it's one here he says you got a gift and the first is faith we get that ephesians 2 tells us that faith is a gift from god but but it's a two-part gift because with it comes suffering but paul remember he's already said death is gain talk about upside down he's already said living is christ and citizenship is in an invisible kingdom not a visible kingdom so just welcome to the kingdom it's it's upside down it's it's not what you expect And just to be clear, it's not the circumstances, like it's not flippant, like you're, you, the cancer itself is the gift. That's not the point. The point is the fact that God's going to use it as a conduit in your life to deliver grace upon grace upon grace to you. That's the gift. The gift is in the suffering. It's the grace of God, gospel grace. This is a reality of the kingdom. We'll see more in the coming weeks about what citizenship looks like in the kingdom of God, but 
But we've seen today kind of three things. One, unity. That's what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. Courage. That's what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And, and seeing suffering as a gift of grace. That's what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom of God. So that's not easy. So it's kind of like, man, that stinks, right? Because uh, I don't feel like much of a citizen. Even this week, I didn't necessarily pursue unity with my wife even at every turn, right? So, like, uh, that's not good. I got pretty bitter about the things that came against me when our car broke down in Jersey City on Monday. I I didn't, like, say thank you for the gift. That wasn't my response. It's quite the opposite, right? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. I didn't obey that during that event right like so am i in trouble right because i don't look and feel like a citizen all the time well you're not here's why the gospel what's is what makes you worthy you don't have to make yourself worthy here's what god does god calls his children to be citizens he calls you citizens and then he makes you look like citizens it's a process it's a trajectory. Look at chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Jesus is the one that transforms us. Jesus is the one that is changing us to look like citizens of the kingdom of God. And that's good news, too, if you're not a citizen king. If you're not a Christian today, you can apply for citizenship, right, without having to take any sort of test. By faith. By grace. Through faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. See, that's how citizenship is won. Citizenship is not won through any battle that you have to fight. Citizenship in the kingdom of God is not won by, by some prerequisite requisite list of behaviors that you have to perform. Jesus. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Jesus, born of a virgin, lived, perfect, no sin. God with skin on. He went to the cross. And there... He died. Blood was spilled from his hands and his feet. And because of his perfection, and therefore the perfection of his sacrifice, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. The only thing that can keep you from citizenship, the thing that keeps you from citizenship is sin. Jesus dealt with it on the cross. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe on the finished work of Jesus on the cross, and you can be a citizen of, of heaven. Trust Jesus today if you're not a Christian. I'd love to talk with you about what that means. Saints, two things. First, remember whose you are. Now notice this. I didn't say remember who you are. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God. That's not what I said. So remember whose you are. We didn't get into that in the very beginning, but actually what my parents were saying to me was a very loving thing because there were two parts to that. One was the responsibility of the Bokel name. The other piece of that was the unbreakable reality 
of reception by my mom and dad because of the Bokel name. You hear what I'm saying? You belong to Jesus. Remember whose you are when you fail to look, smell, and sound like a citizen of the kingdom. Right? Like everybody else might kind of be like, eh, I don't know. Not Jesus. He moves to you. Because he loves to forgive sin. He loves to embrace sinners. And so in your sin, he draws near to you. And that's not an excuse to go on sinning. Paul says that's ridiculous in another one of his letters. Don't be dumb. That's a dumb idea. But it is grace in the midst of our failings. And then secondly, though, and this is the other side of the coin, from the responsibility standpoint, test your citizenship, right? Do you still say Appalachia? You're probably not a citizen of this area. It's Appalachia. Okay. See, like, that's the point here, and this is the point of the test. Are you growing into unity? Ask yourself that question. Is your posture me, or is your posture us? In your home, in your neighborhood, in this church, are you growing into unity? Not are you perfect in unity, but are you... Right? On an upward trajectory, like the, the stock market, right? And right now the stock market's going like this, but we're all trusting, right, that it's going to come back up. And, it, you know, who knows? Maybe, right? But, but even if the stock market doesn't do that, sanctification is going to do that in your life regardless. You'll have some steps backwards. You'll have some failings, but upward trajectory. Are you growing into unity? Are you growing into courage? Are you becoming less shy? about smelling and sounding like Jesus? Or do you kind of hide that part of your life sometimes? Preaching to myself. And are you growing into a biblical view of suffering? How are you categorizing the things that happen to you? It's an intellectual question at some level because the things we feel, okay, right? I'm not, like, in the midst of your suffering, I'm not saying that you should just feel happy, but are you able to take your suffering and see it through the rubric of what the Word of God says, that God can work it out for your good? Are you growing into that? For the children of God, our primary citizenship is His kingdom. Might we look, smell, sound like citizens of the kingdom of God? Father, thank you so much for our citizenship in the kingdom of God through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. What a gift. Might we be people who smell, look, sound like citizens of the kingdom. Might we be growing into that. Might we see growth in that even this week. In the way that we treat other people towards unity. The way that we respond and encourage expressions of our faith way that we look at ourselves, even in the midst of it. Make it so. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. 
and we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.